You're listening to Campus Review Radio. As a researcher, my life is governed by human research ethics committees. If I was doing research with animals, it would also be governed by an animal research ethics committee. But we're talking about the human side of it here. The idea of human research ethics committees first came to light probably in the early 1900s in Germany. And they drew up codes of ethics for researchers working with people. We have to remember that at that time, Germany was the lead country in research around the world. Their codes of ethics were really quite similar to those we have today. Informed consent, respect for people, uh, ability for people to withdraw when they that didn't want to be part of it anymore, and so on. But with the advent of Adolf Hitler and the Nazis, all that changed. And as we know, Hitler set up concentration camps and death camps across Germany and the occupied countries. And in some of those camps, medical experiments, scientific experiments were carried out. The camps provided the researchers of the time with what we would call today lab rats. The only problem is that they were human beings. The prisoners in those places had no choice over anything. They had no rights. They were used as lab rats in the most horrendous experiments. They had no right to withdraw at any time. They had no ability to consent or not to consent. And many of them either died during the experiments or were killed afterwards. It wasn't just prisoners in concentration camps either. Nazi Germany had, before the war started, begun a a campaign of ridding the state of those considered life unworthy of life or useless eaters. They were the terms that were used. These were people, including children with disabilities, with mental illness, chronic alcoholism, a whole range of things that were considered to be deleterious to the full development of the so-called Aryan race. So these people were killed. Many of them were killed and then their bodies were used in experiments. They were killed by lethal injection or by gassing or by an overdose of phenobarbitone. And sometimes the doctors would come into the clinics. These all occurred in in hospitals, in, in psychiatric hospitals largely, or homes for the disabled, homes for disabled children. The doctors would come in and they would see what they considered an interesting specimen. And they would organize to have that person killed and their body transported to their anatomy laboratories where they were dissected and kept their body parts kept as specimens. There are still universities in Germany and Austria with pathology museums containing body parts from people killed in these programs. There's a big movement afoot, of course, to try and redress this and bury these people with dignity. One of my concerns as a professor of nursing is that it wasn't just the doctors who were involved in these things. It was nurses as well. 
In fact, many more nurses killed their patients than doctors did. When we look at the experiments themselves, in the places like Ravensbrück concentration camp, which was a camp for women, or Auschwitz, there were many other camps involved, but they are the two where many of the horrendous experiments occurred. Women in Ravensbrück were chosen for wound healing experiments. There were Polish women who were prisoners because they had spoken out against the Nazi state once Poland was occupied or had been involved in the resistance. These women had their legs cut open and dirt, sawdust, glass fragments inserted. They had their nerves and blood vessels severed to see what would happen. There were transplantation experiments, transplanting legs from one person to another. A whole range of horrendous things. Sometimes they were given anaesthetics, uh, but largely to just keep them still while the operations were going on. And afterwards, there was no pain relief. Some of these women died during the experiments. Some were killed after the experiments, but several lived through it and were witnesses at the trials of the people who carried out these horrendous experiments at Ravensbrück. At Auschwitz, there was a hospital where many experiments were carried out, but two main themes predominated. The first is very notorious. It was Dr. Mengele and his operations on twins, and the world knows much about that. But there was another theme of research carried out there on sterilization of people, how best to sterilize men and women so that they could not reproduce. They had chemicals injected into their ova and fallopian tubes and into their testes, or they were given massive doses of radiation into their reproductive organs to see what would happen. Again, no pain relief, no anaesthetic, and many died or were sent to the gas chambers once their usefulness was over. There were nurses involved in all of these things, as well as doctors. Very few of the nurses were ever tried after the war. Some were, some were executed, as were some of the doctors. But many of them just lived on normal lives after the war and were never indicted for what they did. There were other places that terrible experiments occurred. Dachau, which was the first concentration camp, was the site of research about the effects of altitude on the human body, the effects of they plunged men into tubs of freezing cold water to see what their bodies would do. And often they were killed and dissected afterwards to see what the effects were. There were experiments about different types of diseases. There were malaria treatment experiments, tuberculosis. There was cases where these diseases were purposely given to prisoners to see what would happen. They weren't patients, they were prisoners, to see what would happen and various treatments were tried to see if they worked. After the war, no one was quite sure what to do with all the data that were collected during these experiments. There was one school of thought, largely by victims, surviving victims and their families, that said, if we do not use the data that has been collected, then we are, we are not doing the right thing by the people who died. 
they will have died in vain. So that was one school of thought, people who believed the data should be used. There was another school of thought that said, no, this data was collected in such horrendous, dreadful circumstances, it's morally repugnant to use the data for anything. And there were other people who came out and said, well, we were prisoners at the time, we were the data collectors, and we used to fudge the data to try and shorten the experiments so people wouldn't suffer so much. So it came out that the data were probably flawed anyway. And so a consensus around the world was not to use the data collected in the concentration camp experiments, in the Nazi experiments. However, it's important to remember that many of the companies who, we, who are household names today got their start in Germany during World War II by carrying out experiments in the concentration camps by supporting them. Firms like Siemens and Bayer, household names that are still around today. Some of those companies, of course, have tried to pay reparations to people, but it will never bring the people back and it will never end the suffering. What all this has meant for research today is that from the trials largely held at Nuremberg after the war, the Nuremberg Code for Research Ethics was developed and since then there have been various supporting codes that have been developed as well. But the Nuremberg Code for Research Ethics governs everything we do. And it's very important. Of course it says you must have informed consent, that people can withdraw whenever they like if they're part of an experiment with no cost to them that only qualified people should be carrying out the research. And there's a whole range of things that basically protect people who are subjects of research. And so we could say that the Nazi crimes were horrendous, but perhaps there was something good came out of them. And that is a knowledge of how badly wrong research can go. The NHNMRC Code of Ethics is based on all of this. The NHNMRC Code of Ethics is not just important but absolutely fundamental to everything that researchers do in relation to health and social care and everything else. We cannot do any research without the NHNMRC Code of Ethics and we cannot do research without getting ethics approval from a human research ethics committee. Many of us as researchers find the process incredibly tedious. It can be seen sometimes as obstructive and it usually means when you're writing a time frame for any research project, you have to add on at least six months to get ethics approval. We all curse human research ethics committees because of this but it is really vital that we understand why these codes of ethics are there and why the ethics committees have to be an integral part of what we do. I have to report into the NHMRC uh, everything, not everything they do, but they have, they have to report into the NHMRC about how they're working and how things are going and certainly any problems. But basically they are quite independent and one of the remits of the NHNMRC is to ensure that everything is, all guidelines are being met appropriately. 
But there's not enough funding given to the NHMRC to do this. The governments, all governments, are notoriously bad at providing funding for any research, really. So they are pretty much between a rock and a hard place because they they need extra funding to be able to do things like um, audits of human research ethics committees, which they're meant to do, but it's very, very difficult for them to be able to do this. So they rely on the human research ethics committee committees themselves to be ethical and act appropriately. And of course they can, but it would be good to see a whole lot of government funding thrown at ethics committees at the NHMRC to try and help them have a, um, a an auditing role over ethics committees to a higher level than it's done at the moment. The governments have to realise that most ethics committees are completely unfunded. The people on ethics committees do it out of love. They're volunteers. There's very little funding goes towards human research ethics committees. So people do it from very much from an altruistic motive. And it's an enormous workload. People who sit on ethics committees have, they use hours and hours with the amount of proposals and guidelines and considerations that they have to read and think about. They're usually probably too busy to blow their own trumpet. They do a fantastic job, uh, but nobody really hears about it. And I think it would be really good for someone to promote the terrific work done by ethics committees and to point out to government that here's this whole system that basically works pretty well, even though it's notoriously underfunded and done by volunteers. So I just think we need a, some sort of awareness, perhaps a media campaign to show the world and the voters how important ethics committees are and how underfunded they are and how they could do with a, a bit more help.